welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. A little something you should know about me, especially if you're ever going to get in a car with me. I have a terrible sense of direction. Terrible. Now, Google Maps has made things, I think, better for me and also worse. Better because now I don't really need to have a sense of direction, but worse because any little shred of it that I did have before Google Maps is gone now. I mean, I'll literally be sitting in the driveway of some place that I drove to, and I don't know as I'm pulling out whether to go left or right because I can't tell whether the Google Maps has oriented me. Like, this is how bad it is, and I just got there. Uh, It has caused me to get lost. It has caused me to have lots of fights with my wife in the car, especially early on in our marriage as we were working out how to do conflict well. Uh, It's nearly killed my cousin. Uh, We were at a wedding together in Pittsburgh, and we're at the reception. He comes up to me, he's having an anaphylactic shock because he ate something at the reception, didn't have his puffer with him. It was back in the hotel. And he said, can you drive me back to the hotel? I'm like, okay, sure. But the problem was the way we got into the reception was not the same way we got out because it was a rally. It was at Penn State, blah, blah, blah. I'm in a new city. I don't have a Google map. And so we're lost. And he's progressively getting more and more choked up in his airways to the point where he's not talking anymore. And I'm just saying to him, hey, nod if I should be running red lights. And he's nodding. And we stopped and asked for directions three times. One point, the guy says this way, and I'm going as fast as I can, running red lights, only to realize later I was heading in the wrong direction as fast as I could. Miraculously, we got to the hotel. He was spared, literally. After he got his puffer, I nearly killed him because he for not bringing his puffer with him. But anyways, that's how bad, like my sense of direction, it was bad. Now, I have a friend named Wayne. Many of you know him. He's an international worker with our denomination. He has a freaky sense of direction. Wayne and I have been hiking in Ecuador. We have been driving in the Rocky Mountains on our way to a snowboard trip. We have been canoeing in backcountry Algonquin. And this guy, even in places he's never been before or he saw a map once or whatever, he just always knows where he is. But you may know this about him that a little while ago, um, he had a, a health scare and passed out while he was on a run. And there was some blood flow issues and brain issues and stuff. And he's uh, a lot better now. But at the time, one of the things that was scariest for him was that his sense of direction got severely impaired for a period of time um, to the point where he'd be driving home and would pass his street and didn't recognize that it was his street. And so here's someone, uh, there's me who has a bad sense of direction that feel lost. This was someone who had a good one that now felt lost and disoriented and didn't know where the map was in his brain, his sense of where streets and even where himself, where he himself was. And this is the thing with a map, right? We need maps to live. They help us understand not just where we're going, but where we are. And it helps us orient to our sense of where we need to go. Now, Wayne and I joke that uh, if it had happened to me, it really wouldn't have made any difference to my life because I didn't know before. But for him, it was devastating to have gone from this place of knowing where he was all the time in the world to not being able to know. It's scary. And, and that's the thing about we need maps. But uh, the truth is the maps that we need in life aren't just the ones that give us street names and uh, north, south, east, west. Listen to how John Mark Comer in his book, Live No Lies, which is a book we're using as a guide for our series that we're in. Listen to how he describes it. He says, in the same way that we have mental maps for how to get to work or school or our favorite coffee shops, we have mental maps for all of life, maps for our money our sexuality, our relationships. Our mental maps are made up of a collection of ideas. The philosopher Dallas Willard defined ideas as, listen, assumptions about reality. 
They are working theories, usually based on some kind of evidence or experience about how life actually works, or in North American lingo, what will make us happy. We live in a world of ideas, and every day we navigate this world by faith, which is our assumptions about reality. Happiness is an idea. So is democracy, human rights, equality, freedom. Even theology is a collection of ideas about God and their far-reaching ramifications on us as human beings. And hear this. Our ideas coalesce to form a mental map by which we navigate reality. And so here's the thing. What he's saying is it's not just the maps that we live street names and directions and addresses by. The map of ideas is the map by which we negotiate all of life, by which we, in a sense, see the world. And just like it's possible to be, in a sense, heading in a wrong direction uh, on, a, in a, on an actual street. It's possible to be heading in the wrong direction in life. It's possible to be disoriented, not just in our north, south, east, west, but in our sense of life and what's right and wrong and what's true and good and where we should be going. And if that happens, the consequences could be disastrous. Look at, for example, our friend Johnny English here, who's Uh, virtual spy training world collides with reality, the real world, with disastrous consequences. Sorry, sir, but you're going to have to leave. Ow! Ow! Uh, That's a funny and absurd (laughs) depiction. Thank you, Rowan Atkinson. Um, But the truth is, it is actually possible where the world that, the way that we see the world actually doesn't correspond completely to reality. That in our world of ideas, some can be good, some can be bad, some can be ugly, shaping, reshaping our map on how we actually see the world. And so the question is this, how do we know whether our map is good, accurate, true, right? How do we know whether we see actually reality properly? Well, our working hypothesis for this series is we don't completely. Our maps are not completely accurate, are not completely good. 
And this is actually the thing that is opposing us or keeping us from getting breakthrough. We talked about last week about feelings of being stuck uh, where we can't move forward, we can't progress, or feelings of being hindered, like something is opposing us or working against the good growth we want to have in our lives. And why is that? Well, it's possible that if we do not have an accurate picture of reality, this in fact is working against us getting breakthrough. And if we're actually meant to be free, to be unstuck, to be unhindered, we actually have to start to look at our maps and say, hey, what is reality for me? And the truth is, like, we can all actually attest to the fact where we have been heading down a road of decision, like I was with my cousin, speeding, going as fast as we can, sure we're going in the right way, only to realize we weren't. All of us can attest to the fact that at times we have felt disoriented, lost, not just directionally, but in life and saying, I'm not sure I know what's real anymore. I'm not sure I know what the right direction to go is anymore. These are actually all experiences we've had before. And yet we may not realize this. This has to do with our map. I mean, some of us don't even realize we, we have a map. Some of us just assume our map is good or others of us are aware of saying things aren't right. So how do we know? We actually need to understand reality, to have a greater understanding of reality. Now, last week we began by saying um, our default uh, condition or the, the, the environment we find ourselves in, the dynamics that are working against breakthrough in our lives are threefold. The flesh, the devil, and the world. The flesh, we said, which was our fallen nature, which is to say this, that you and I were born with beautiful and broken desires. We were born beautiful and broken. We have good desires, wholesome desires, healthy desires, things that are good that we should run after. And then we have other desires that are not healthy, that are not good, that are not wholesome, that are not right, that actually work against our other desires. We are working against ourselves. That's what the flesh, when the Bible calls the flesh, it's describing this nature within us that is working against the good within us. That's one of the dynamics. The second is the world that is a broken place. We live in a beautiful and broken world filled with beautiful and broken people just like us. And so our families, our schools, our friends, the communities of people we interact with and the systems and institutions and churches that are all a part of are also broken and flawed. And so these things also work against the world works against us and we reference the scripture that says the ruler of the kingdom of the air, in other words, the devil, the, the, un, the ruler of the unseen world, the unseen power working against us, whose goal is he's the enemy of God and the enemy of good and the enemy of us, and he's working against us. And we said, these are the three dynamics that are working our lives, blocking us from breakthrough. And I said to you last week, even if you missed the message, if you did, go back and grab it. There's all kinds of reasons you're going to disagree with the, with the scripture's diagnosis on that. I mean, you may agree with the symptoms of feeling lost, of feeling stuck, of feeling hindered, but you may not agree with the diagnosis. There's all kinds of issues we have with it. And maybe one of the biggest ones is the devil, like for real, like really, the devil, that's the, that's, you know, and here's why in particular, we would have issue with the devil. We are breathing the air of the humanist sort of worldview, which says there's just no such thing as the devil. I mean, that's psychology, it's mental health, it's other things, it's not, there's not actually an unseen spiritual world, there's no devil, that's an archaic sort of, you know, medieval, dark ages sort of idea that people needed to explain things they couldn't uh, explain otherwise. 
or bad behavior or whatever, someone to blame. And so in a sense, whether or not you've been raised in a Christian tradition or a religious tradition that believed in the spiritual world, we live in 21st century postmodern North America that breeds in this idea that there's no such thing as evil or the devil. But I said to you that even if you've, uh, you've been grown up in the church, some religious tradition, um, in many ways, it's not just humanist perspective that has shaped our understanding of the devil, but, you know, the exorcist uh, and Dante's Inferno, you know, the, the Dante's Inferno, the, the devil is this man in a red suit. Uh, I don't know why it's always a tight onesie, but anyways, that's a different thing. Like, uh, the devil is this man in a red suit with a pitchfork torturing people in the fires of hell, you know, or the exorcist, like this, this, this uh, spirit that comes into you and turns your eyes green and spins your heads around and makes you crawl on the ceiling and all this stuff. And, and here's the thing, because of that, because we've been breathing the air for many, many uh, centuries that says there's no such thing as, as this unseen spiritual world and material world, although that's starting to go away now. People are starting to realize there is. Um, or these ideas of Dante's Inferno and the red pitchfork and, and uh, you know, the exorcist. All that does is actually disconnect our sense of the devil from our reality. We have no idea how he might intersect our view of reality. And so in a sense, if we do believe, it's just like, we don't want to talk about it. We don't want to think about it. Or we just think that's absurd. That has nothing to do with my everyday life. But here's the truth. Jesus and the New Testament writers, when they talk about the devil and, and this ruler of the kingdom of the air, they, don't, they never thought about him and envisioned him in terms of the exorcist or Dante's Inferno or whatever. But in it actually, in a very simple, but very, if we can say diabolical, which is actually where that word devil, devil comes from, diabolos, uh, in a diabolical way, but a very simple way that the devil works in our lives. And the reason we need to understand it is because if we are going to live in reality, we need to understand this one who is a part of the flesh and the world and the devil working against us. So I want you to listen to how Jesus in uh, probably the most descriptive conversation he has about the devil, describes who he is and his work and what it means for us to let Jesus bring breakthrough. Have a listen. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. This is a conversation that Jesus is having uh, with a group of people um, about him and his work and his purpose on earth. And he says this, if you hold to my teaching, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You may have not have known that. You may have heard the truth will set you free. You didn't know where it came from. It came from here. Jesus having this conversation. And um, here's the thing, like we live in a world that has taken the idea of truth into this sort of metaphysical, philosophical kind of thing that's like your truth is, you know, what's true for you is true for you, what's truth, your truth, or whatever. But the biblical understanding of truth and what Jesus is referencing here, and the Greek word here that is used, it's translated from probably the Aramaic that Jesus was speaking, is the word aletheia, which probably best translated is reality. 
Their truth is not this sort of subjective, philosophical, metaphysical idea. Truth is the pavement. It is reality. In other words, when uh, my children were young and we were walking across the street and they wanted to run out into the street, I didn't let them run out into the street into oncoming traffic and say, hey, there's a car coming, but if you don't believe it'll hit you, that's okay. What's true for you is true for you. It's like no reality is going to hit them and they're going to die. And there's no metaphysical, philosophical debate about it. It's just how it's going to work. That's what truth means. It means reality. And Jesus says this, if you know my teaching and hold to my teaching, you will know reality and reality will set you free. The freedom we are meant to have. This is what this whole series is about, breakthrough. Jesus says it comes through knowing truth, which is reality. What's so interesting is they go, what do you mean? We're not slaves to anyone. We don't need freedom. We are free. And so Jesus begins to have this conversation with them saying, no, you're not. And here's why. Because I know this just sounds like Christian insults. Your father is the devil. <laughs> but what he's saying was, you were born into a world, not only with a beautiful and broken flesh and body, and not only into a beautiful and broken world, but you were born into a world with the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The devil is your father, the father of everyone, in a sense, who was born. This is your nature. This is your default condition. And therefore, you are not free. And he goes on to explain why. And this is a very short passage where Jesus talks about the devil, but it's so comprehensive and helps us understand and rescues us from these sort of medieval ideas of pitchforks and hell and uh, or like fire and hell and all of this stuff and says, this is actually how the devil works in your life. And he says this, he was a murderer from the beginning, which would have hearkened them back to the very beginning, our, our origin story as human beings from the book of Genesis, which means beginnings. And if you read in the third chapter, the very first uh, page of the scripture, the devil makes an appearance. And yet he doesn't murder anyone. Like if you go back and read the story, if you know it, when he encounters Adam and Eve in the garden, there's no murder that happens in that moment. What does Jesus mean when he says, oh, he was a, a murderer from the beginning? Well, he goes on to explain, not holding to the truth, when he lies, he speaks his native tongue which again is another good insult. When he lies, he speaks his native tongue. He's just saying, listen, the devil destroyed. That's what this idea of murder means. He took life. He killed from the beginning. How? Through lies. He says, go back and remember, how did the world come undone? It came undone through lies. Jesus anchors the work of the devil and explaining the way the world is and explaining to these people listening to them, this is why you're not free, is because you are under the power of the liar. And he has been lying and destroying life from the beginning through lies. From the beginning, Jesus says, the devil set about destroying the world through lies. And this is the way the devil continues to work. And if you actually go back to the beginning and read this story, the, the, the two lies that the devil told was one, God is not good. God is not good. He's holding out on you. He doesn't want you to thrive. This was actually the root lie that the devil told the beginning. God is not good. He doesn't want you to thrive. He's holding out on you. He's keeping things back from you. And then secondly, it was a lie about them. You could be like God. God is holding out on you. He doesn't want you to thrive, but you could be like God. All you need is a little more power and a little more control. Now, can we just step back for a moment? 
you know, people would uh, read the Bible and look at it and say, oh, what? I, like the reason there's sin in the world, the world's messed up is because there's a talking snake and he tempted this lady to eat an apple. That's so absurd. That is not what the Bible is trying to actually tell us. I mean, we can argue all day whether it was an apple or whether it was actually a snake or whatever. The scriptures are true. The account of the beginning of the world is true because it says, listen, the world has come undone. This good, beautiful world has come undone and been broken by two lies. Lies about God, that God isn't really good. He doesn't want you to thrive. And lies about you, that all you need is power and control. Now step back for a moment. Are those not the two lies that we just continue to believe? God is not good. He's holding out on you. He doesn't want you to thrive. You can't trust him. And you can be your own God. What you need is power and control. Those are the lies. Jesus says, that's why the devil's been destroying the world, murdering from the beginning. Friends, this is how our mental maps of reality have been distorted. The devil's lies worm their way into our understanding of reality, planting ideas that are not actually true and warping our sense of reality. And we are all, that's what we said last week, we are all susceptible to it. Everyone's mental maps has truth in it, reality and unreality, illusion, deception. And we don't know which is which. Often, this is the challenge. And this is, when he says that the ruler of the kingdom of the air, it's like the world, the air we breathe is full of lies. And remember we talked about the flesh, the devil, and the world? Well, listen to how they actually work together. And John Mark in his book unpacks this in this way. He says, the devil plants deceptive ideas. That is his work of lies. That is how he destroys. That is his diabolical way of interacting in the world is through lies. And these deceptive ideas play to our flesh or our disordered desires. Things that we want that aren't good, that are unhealthy, that we think would be good for us that are not. The lies come, our flesh in a sense believes them because we have a bent to us, not only towards good things, but to bad things, not only towards beautiful things, but to broken things, not only towards noble things, but to selfish things. And those deceptive ideas play to our disordered desires, which then are normalized in a fallen world. We live in a world that says, yeah, that sounds right. That seems good. You should do that. That's how the devil, the flesh, and the world work together. Now, let me give you some examples because without the examples, we can't actually see how this is going. Remember, this is affecting our maps. Some of us don't even realize we have a map. Some of us don't even realize that our map might be faulty. And even as I say that to you, we don't want to accept that. Oh, what? I'm not seeing, I'm believing illusions. I'm believing lies. We all are. Not everything we believe is lies, but every one of us believes some lies that are actually distorting and warping our perspective of reality. Let me give you some examples to actually help us see that in our lives. There's the lie of racism, right? What's the lie of racism? The lie of racism is that certain people are more superior, are better, are smarter, are more important, or more suited to certain types of roles in society because of their skin color. Just because of their skin color. That's a lie, right? But think about World War II. Adolf Hitler believed that lie. He believed that the Aryan race was the superior race. And he believed that for his nation and really the world, the Aryans needed to have power. He also believed another lie that the Jews, who he saw as uh, important and powerful in his country, were threatening to take down the more superior Aryan race. That was the lie he believed, but it played to the flesh. 
And not just his flesh, but all flesh, because all human beings want to feel like they're superior or more important than other people. We all want to feel valued and important. That's not bad. But the way we do it is by comparing ourselves to others. And we all do it based on skin color, based on ethnic background, based on job, based on where you live, based on how much money you have or what clothes you wear. We all rank ourselves in, um, in the human race based on importance or value, whatever that is. That is the flesh. That is the, fall, the disordered desire in us to show ourselves to be better than other people. And that lie of racism plays itself to the flesh, to the disordered desires that are in all of us, not just in Hitler, not just in Nazi Germany, but in all of us. And then normalized in a broken and a fallen world. Germany itself was a broken state at the time, suffering under the guilt of the war of World War I and, uh, and the Treaty of Versailles, which was meant to actually bring peace, but actually crippled them economically, socially, psychologically. And it was a broken, fallen world where this idea of competition and superior races and feeling now on the wrong end of things got normalized. And so that Hitler with a microphone and a lie took the lives of six million Jews. And they say an estimated 10 million men between the ages of 18 and 25 on both sides of the battle were lost in World War II. Racism is, friends, that's why racism continues now. You think, well, why aren't we just educated enough? It's not a matter of education. All kinds of very educated people are racist. It is a lie of human superiority that the devil has been planting from the beginning. That's why it's so powerful. That's why it's not so easily broken because it is a lie that is everywhere. How about this? A lie of marriage. True love is easy. True love is easy. I mean, that's a lie. But our flesh wants to believe it. Because the flesh, the disordered desires in us as married people is we don't want to put the other person's needs ahead of our own. We don't want to sacrifice our career, our time, our money, our energy for the other person. We don't want to be the first ones to say, I'm sorry. We don't want to admit that we were the problem in the conflict relationship. We don't want to restrict um, our, our pleasures and look at only one person's body. We want to lust and look at other people's body, whether that's pornography or somebody else. Those are all the things in our flesh that are disordered, disordered desires. So we want to believe when it's hard to be married that, oh, something's wrong. I married the wrong person or this, something's wrong with you because true love should be easy. And that lie is normalized in a fallen world. Why? Because all the movies we say, oh, you just fall in love. It just happened. Okay, maybe there's a, 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 you know, a difficult love story, but in the end, love was easy and they lived happily ever after. True love should be easy is told to us over and over and over. And if it's not, move on. You can fall in, in, in love. Oh, and you can fall out of love. Oh, we're just not in love anymore because true love should be easy. It's a lie that plays to our disordered desires for selfishness and ease and comfort and me first that is normalized in a world that says, yes, of course, it should be easy. And if it's not, it's not the right thing. It's not the right one. It used to be, it's not anymore. Move on. What about a lie of career? I had a friend who was in his early 50s um, and was approaching burnout. And because of that, he started to do some kind of a lot of inner work to go, what's going on within me? And he said, what came to mind as he began to look at his career path, he said, when I was young, my parents said this to me, it doesn't matter what you do, but whatever you do, work at being the best. Now, that sounds like truth. That sounds good. Like it says, hey, we don't value one job more than the other, and that's good. But is it true that whatever we do, we should be the best? Or that our goal is to be the best? 
No, that's a lie. But it plays to our disordered desire to prove ourselves to ourselves, to prove ourselves to our parents, to prove ourselves to other people, whatever career, whatever calling, whatever job we get, to receive the approval of other people, to receive the rewards of wealth or bonus or title or position. That lie, whatever you do, be the best, plays to a disordered desire to be better than others or to work hard. And he said, for me in my life, that resulted in me putting more and more pressure on myself, working longer, working harder. And through you know 30 years of working, of feeling setbacks and experiences and failures and ups and downs, he said, it was starting to break me down normalized in a world that says, hey, you can do whatever you set your mind to, be the best, normalized in a world of YouTube sensations and TikTok celebrities and um, people who made it great and were on Oprah, we're surrounded by normalized stories of saying, yes, be the best, you can do it. Impossible is nothing. <laughs> That's a lie. The place to a disordered desire normalized in a fallen world. What about lies about God? Some of us believe the lie that God is controlling and critical because the church we grew up in, the religious system we grew up in, the mother who taught us about God was controlling and critical. And so we believe that God's constantly trying to force us to do things and criticize us when we don't or when we fall short. That's a lie about God, but it plays to a disordered desire in us that says, I don't want anyone to tell me what to do. I am the captain of my soul. I want to do what I want to do. I don't want religion's oppressive. God's oppressive. He's going to control me. That's what he's trying to do. So I'm going to keep God at a distance. Or I don't want to be criticized for him for my failures. I want, you know, love is love. I just want him to accept me the way I am. I don't want to hear that maybe what I desire or maybe where I'm heading isn't good. And so I keep God at a distance because I don't want to be controlled and I don't want to be criticized because that's who I believe God is. The lie about God's character plays to the disordered desires in me, normalized in a fallen world that says, yeah, nobody has the right to tell you what to do. Religion is just a tool of the oppressor. Throw it off, right? This is how this works. Lies about ourselves, lies about God, lies about other people, lies about the world. <clears throat> Which is why Jesus begins this whole conversation by saying, hold on to my teaching. I teach truth. But you know what? A little later, actually, in this book, he didn't just say, I teach truth. Jesus said this, I am truth. Which he sang that song earlier today. I am the way, I am the truth. You see, it isn't just Jesus' words that lead to freedom in our lives. As he begins to rewire our mental maps and tell us the truth about who God is and who we are. Jesus says, I am truth. And if it's true that we have been lied to about God from the beginning, if the, one of the enemy's main tactics is to discredit God, to lie to us about his character and his nature, it's so important for us that Jesus came and said, if you have seen me, you have seen God. If you have questions about the character of God, look at Jesus. You know, people say, oh, I can see God and experiencing him through nature. Well, you can, but only a little bit. Because in nature, you can see a beautiful sunrise, but you can also see a typhoon that kills people. And that doesn't give you a full picture of God. Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen God. 
Jesus full of compassion, full of grace, full of wisdom, full of mercy. Jesus upending the social structures, tearing down the walls of racism and socioeconomic snobbery and um, gender bias, sexism, and a rank order of society. That's who God is. Jesus says, I am truth. If you want to know who God is, look at me. This is why every week in our church, we talk about Jesus. We sing to Jesus. We encourage you to read the biographies of Jesus because we all have distorted pictures about God that have subtly come in from the beginning, maybe from our parents, from our church, from not being in church, from wherever. And we need to see the reality of who God is. Jesus says, if you look at me, you serve me reality. But Jesus also shows us who we are because he came not just fully God, but fully human. Jesus shows us what it looks like to live a good and beautiful life. The life of Jesus becomes a picture of what you and I can be and are called to be and were created to be. That's why it's not just Jesus teaching. Jesus wasn't just a good teacher of truth. He was truth. And the beautiful thing is, we do not have to be afraid of the devil. The scriptures say that Jesus actually conquered sin and death and publicly uh, disarmed and exposed the devil in terms of exposed him as a liar on the cross and through his resurrection. But we cannot be naive about the work and the influence of the devil. That's why we need Jesus to actually lead us into truth. So I want you to reflect just for a moment before we kind of move on. Just take a moment and, and reflect on these two questions. In what area of life or relationship or issue do I feel stuck or hindered right now? Or maybe we can use the language of maps and sort of going, I don't know where I'm going. Do I feel lost or disoriented? In what area of life? And what lies or lie might be underneath this? Now, maybe it's going to take more time and we're going to talk about that in a moment, but um, maybe something's already been coming up for you. Maybe as it relates to your marriage or career or your schooling or the way you see your friends or yourself. Just take, let's take three minutes and just to be silent and reflect on this together.
The reality is that, at least that I've seen in my own life, these things are hard to detect in many ways because some of the lies just came to us from our family background, not because our parents were trying to lie to us, but because they believed something. Their map wasn't actually totally pure of reality. And some of us may be easy to spot that, others might be hard. And maybe that's because their parents are their parents, or lies come to us in all kinds of ways through our experiences. In the next few weeks, we're actually gonna be going through different aspects of our life where we can get breakthrough. And some of that is actually realizing the lie that's underneath each of those things. And so I don't expect at all that you would have had a full epiphany today, but this is just to begin to help us realize, wait, I do have a mental map <laughs> full of ideas, some of which are good, some of which are not good, some of which are real, some of which are illusion. And I need to actually realize that it's possible. And this is the way the enemy's been at work in my life, but Jesus has come to set me free, to help me understand the truth. And so one of the actually more comprehensive ways you're gonna get at this is through the two things we're recommending you're doing in this series. And that we said, I said last week, probably take 30 minutes a day max, which if you don't have any other time, that just means you have to get up 30 minutes earlier, which you know, you could use a little bit more of that, a little bit less sleep, that won't kill you. Or you just watch a little bit less TV and you'll be fine. is the daily reading. Every day this week and all the way through the series, there's gonna be exercises in this week helping you kind of get underneath some of these beliefs, some of this disorientation, some of these directions you've been heading or place in life where there might be a lie at work. And so we're gonna ask, and you're gonna ask the Holy Spirit to reveal, to help you do this. And so if you do the daily readings, there's exercises in there. I wanna encourage you, if you've never done that, you can find it on our app, you can find it on our website, it says daily reading every day to just give you some handles to start to understand this in your life. And we would suggest reading this sort of book that is our recommended reading for the series called Live No Lies. And in that, you know, um, John Mark Comer quotes uh, psychologist David Benner, who says, the greatest problem we have as human beings is not that we tell lies, but that we live them. <laughs> and that's what this whole thing is about. So we'd encourage you to read that, or you can get it on Amazon and listen to audiobook or whatever. Here's the thing. I know this is hard work. And I know it's work we don't want to do. Our flesh our, our doesn't want to do this. We don't want to admit maybe that we're wrong. We don't want to actually look back and say, you know what, maybe I was responsible for that. Or maybe I'm the problem in my workplace or with my friends. Or maybe I believe some lies that have actually affected my marriage. We don't want to do that. But the only thing worse than having a mental map that's flawed, that's got some reality and some illusion in it, is not even realizing we do. So we want to know. And yet the good news is this isn't a quest that God sends you out and says, go figure this out, sort this out. This is actually the quest Jesus was on, which is why he came. (laughs) That's right. He said, I came that you might have life to the full. I came to set you free. Jesus is on a quest to move towards us to set us free. He's the one who pursues us to set us free. Free. And so we're going to sing a couple of songs, but this next one is the one, uh, one we've sung a lot. It's called Reckless Love. But I want you to think about this one line in particular. It says, there's no lie you won't tear down coming after me. It's just to say, Lord, you are committed to my freedom. You are truth. You're the one that has conquered um, the enemy and death and hell and sin. You are the one that helps me unearth the lies. You are the one that helps my flesh begin to desire good and new things. You're the one that teaches me how to live in a broken world. And so let's sing it together. And as you do, invite Jesus and say, Lord, I want to know the truth. Set me free.